Welcome to the HR Most Influential podcast, where we explore big ideas with small conversations. I'm your host, Joe Gallagher, editor of HR Magazine. HR Most Influential is an annual list that celebrates the most influential players in the field of people strategy. These are the people whose ideas and actions are at the forefront of HR practices both in the UK and abroad, creating a better workplace for all. This podcast series will speak to some of the practitioners, academics and consultants making up the list, asking them to pull back the curtain on their working lives and explore the major issues facing the world of work. A special thanks to our sponsor, Hireite, the global background screening solution. So, as always, I've got with me today in the podcast studio our deputy editor, Bo Jackson. Welcome, Bo. Hi, Joe. How's it going? Oh, good. Thanks. How are you? Very, very well. Thank you. Good. This is all very new to us um, in terms mm-hmm. of the podcast and sitting down and recording together and us not us not doing this over a glass of wine. So um, <laughs> I know it's nice uh, to be in here. I feel like a a, a movie star, not movie star, a pop star. A pop We're going to cut a single, aren't we? Yeah. We've already teased that. We have already Twitter. teased that on Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, so I guess it's going to happen now. It has to happen. <laughs> Coming December 22, 2022. <laughs> Absolutely. Watch this space, everyone. So what I really wanted to talk to you today about was the plan to live with COVID. Mm. Now, obviously, we've been living with COVID in one way or the other since the start of the pandemic, which was March 2020. Yeah, March 2020. So it's been quite a while and it felt like a long term coming. I think if you'd have told me at the start of the pandemic that we would only just be getting back to quote unquote normal, Mm. I would have cried quite a lot. (laughs) It was good not to know the length of it. I think that that's something that came about throughout actually kind of not knowing it was it was nice at the start to have like targets and being like oh just another month just another month but then that kind of prepped us for like oh actually no it's been two years and then here you are actually finally getting back to normal I think drip feeding it it, like that was better yeah than being like it's going to be although Chris Whitty did say right at the very beginning he was like it's going to be three four years before we're back to normal and we all just Chris Whitty to you yeah sorry (laughs) we uh we all just uh conveniently yeah we forgot forgot that that, didn't we yeah Yeah. we didn't we didn't mention that bit too much um so I guess I wanted to ask you today whether you thought we were going to go back to a new normal Mm -hmm. or if we're going back to normal you know at the start of the pandemic when a lot of HR professionals were saying this is a new normal hybrid working flexible working options are we are we there or are we going back to normal a little bit I mean it seems yes and no, doesn't it? You've got the, you've got the polar opposites. I think flexible working is definitely on the table now for probably everyone, and like everybody can talk about it and bring it up and knows more what it's about. But still, you've got these companies at the other side being like, "This really didn't work for us, and it really isn't going to." And we still want you to be in. And I think there's some old habits really dying hard there, where they want people to show up and also there's there's the other concern which I was always mindful of of like the connection between people and the risk of losing that um what yeah do you think? no definitely I think um 
With flexible working in particular, I think the, the pandemic is, uh, there's no question that it's definitely helped it. And I think it's definitely helped the CIPD campaign and others to be mm-hmm. flexed from first. You know, I think I would argue that without the pandemic, I think there will be definitely a lot, not. a lot further behind um and i can see that happening now and i can see there's so much conversation around like flexible working just being the norm but i think we do need to look at the obviously it's brilliant for people that need it and then there's so many different people that do need it but i think we need to also consider what we're missing out on when we're working Mm -hmm. from home sometimes i'll come home and my other half will say i've not had a conversation with anyone today if they've not had a meeting yeah, and there's but then there's also obviously your other workers that don't haven't got remote work as an option and as has life changed for them, you know, is is there anything any different? Mm. Um I guess we need to be careful as well not to conflate remote working with flexible working because yeah. we I, I, we as in the two of us and then society at large think of it as quite the same mm. but flexible working I guess is much more about the much hours harder. that you work etc whereas remote working is that you know where you work um but I'm, I'm just hoping that eventually we'll all kind of figure it out and create these new social connections because um it's been a real challenge for us all mentally and physically and everything else and I think we all know that um, but it's really the, the, the hardest part next um, will be for HR, I suppose, to figure out how, how can you keep track of everyone at the same time? You know, these people who are asking for flexible work, who are asking for remote work, you give them that. You can't just say, yes, brilliant, that's done now. Perfect. Because there's there's a much wider piece going on beyond that where you're having to check in on their well-being and make sure that actually flexible working does work for them. Prior to the pandemic, mental health was a huge thing, but now it's it's the be-all and end-all, you know, for mm. well-being. Well-being was a top priority throughout the pandemic because this, this pandemic was literally life or death, you know. It, there's no way around it. And regardless of whether you're in a vulnerable category, whether you knew someone who had COVID, especially in the early days when you didn't know how serious that could be, mm. you know, it was life or death and it was all about health. And now... Living beyond it, I think I predict that there'll be a lot of people in the future that have symptoms coming from long COVID, whether they realise it or not, and how HR professionals can deal and manage with long COVID. They don't don't even know what this illness looks like. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, and there's so many different symptoms. So how can they create a wellbeing policy that encapsulates this, you know, and represents all of these different symptoms when when staff themselves might not even realize they have it i think speaking of someone from someone or by someone even with a chronic illness it's really hard to acknowledge that you have it especially mm. when you have challenging symptoms so something like long covid i think it's going to take a very long time for people to get diagnosed with it you know because the the symptoms are so generic you know being f- fatigue yeah tiredness and it can be sickness, so many other things pain it? it can be so many other things and I think it's going to be really hard for employees and employers to create a long covid strategy if they needed to create a strategy is it just part of the well-being strategy I think there's so much more a lot of people are saying you know the death rates are down, infection rates are down, which is amazing, with a huge thanks to the vaccine for that. 
But now we'll need to look at, okay, what's the next stage of this pandemic? Because it's not over. Mm. And even when it's not a pandemic anymore, we're still living with the trauma of being in a pandemic. That's it, isn't it? It's a once in a hundred year thing, you know. We ran a story, didn't we, about business disability forum looking into this and and the risk of, you know, moving to living with for, living with COVID and what that means for your high risk workers. You're going to, you know, they're going to be left behind like they were at the beginning of the pandemic when there was there's little guidance about in like, you know, what do you do? What do you also do if you're if everybody around you is wearing a mask and you can't lip read and this whole thing. Um, so it's a strange one, but hopefully it's just a sign that we're in that stage where it, it is safer. I think the overwhelming response throughout the past few years has been you have to just speak to your people. You have to ask them. You have to ask them what they need and what they want and what will be reasonable and suitable for them well great chatting to you as always Bo thanks very much for sharing your thoughts cheers Joe I enjoyed it today's episode is all about lifelong learning featuring special guest David Frost people and organizational development director at Dole David has appeared numerous times on our HR Most Influential Practitioners list and is responsible for group people strategy, organisation design, succession planning and talent development. I caught up with David over Zoom to discuss future-proofing skills, COVID's lasting impact and his top career advice for HR professionals. It's lovely to have you here. Um, We're really excited to get going with this and particularly lifelong learning and skills because it's just so important and vital in the workplace now. We know the UK currently has one of the highest rates of employment in developed nations, yet the jobs market is also facing a number of challenges. The age structure of the UK population is changing, technological advances are disrupting some jobs and occupations while creating others. And all of this is taking place during the context of the great resignation, quote unquote. So often we're left to figure out where skills and development comes into this and what to prioritise. So, David, I think a fantastic place to start would be let's look at what lifelong learning means to you. What exactly do you see as lifelong learning? Well, I think for me, it really links to what we would call in our business and what I like to refer to as that growth mindset. So irrespective of where you've been, irrespective of the experiences you may have had in the past, always being aware of what's coming, always reading about trends, um, the developments perhaps in technology, business, culture, and then really thinking about what does that mean in terms of the learning that I may need to do, the maybe the mindset shift that might be required to accommodate the way that the world's going to evolve in the future. So that that growth mindset, if you like, that um, means that you're always looking out for the, the next thing. The open-mindedness is one, I think, to, to other people's views and, and change generally. And do you think HR at the moment congratulates and encourages lifelong learning, or do you think it's, it's too focused on what's happening right now in this very moment? I think, I think both, in a sense, 
probably apply here to some degree, Joe. I think, you know, when we're going through very difficult times, and obviously we've re recently been through that whole period where we've had to deal with COVID, haven't we? And that's really meant we had to dive right into the now, the here and the now, and you, you naturally get very focused on what's right ahead of you, what's right in front of you. And it's always challenging then, I think, to be looking too far out because you're not quite sure what the world's going to look like afterwards. But obviously that's an example where we started to look quite quickly, didn't we, the impact it was going to have on the way people were going to be working and, and the demands from um, you know people coming in to join you perhaps who didn't want to work permanently again. So that point about being open to change and thinking about the implications of what you're dealing with now and then thinking about how we might need to be a little creative perhaps in the future, I think that's... That's something where you have to try and balance the two. And it's always difficult, I think, depending on which type of industry you're in or type of organisation you're in. Some organisations really haven't got any choice other than to be very, very um, short term. Others, perhaps, you know, were continuing and, and were able to be more long term. So I think it's very, it is quite circumstantial, you know, it is quite industry dependent. Maybe the way to think about it is where's the natural tendency in HR? You know, when when we when we're able to think long term, do we naturally do that, or are we a little bit more sort of uh, close range in our thinking? I think HR is becoming more strategic. Generally, I think more people recognise the importance of the strategic side of what we do: organisational development, talent succession. All of those things now are, are far more relevant and, and, and high profile. I think, um, but we always need to be kind of keeping our, our mind on that don't we I think that's important yeah absolutely I'm sure a few HR professionals listening to this might feel a bit triggered thinking is David talking about me am I not considering it enough <laughs> hopefully that that ears are pricked up a little bit anyway so you've mentioned creativity um, as a really nice starting point as a lifelong learning skill I definitely think that applies to pretty much every industry and every profession that you're in you've got to be creative at some point but what other skills are up there for you when it comes to lifelong learning? Well, I think um, when it comes to lifelong learning, I think of three areas. Um, leadership, there's leadership skills that are required, business, technical skills and, and understanding. And then the area of personality and mindset, you know, how, how we look at the world and, and how we behave and deal with things and deal with people. So I think when it comes to leadership, there's a, there's a whole skill set I might focus on here around facilitation and, and encouraging collaboration. I think, you know, the world's really shifting, isn't it, where you don't have people working in silos, people are working across territories, geographies, cultures. Um, increasingly, you know, we find leaders have to uh, deliver change or outcomes working across multiple functions and departments within one organisation, uh, where many people in their project teams that don't even directly report to them. And I was sort of thinking about this when I was just thinking about preparing for our conversation today. How many leadership programmes do you see where facilitation skills are specifically focused on and developed? You know, we see mentoring, we see coaching, of course, we see communication skills. But maybe facilitation isn't something that's as high up there as it needs to be. And I think to, um, to enable leaders to be ready for the future, and to be able to cope with organisations which are going to need to operate in this more flexible way, I think facilitation skills are going to be a key. So that's an area around leadership, perhaps we could think about. And then when it comes to business and technical skills, obviously we have skills that are required for our own particular function, obviously HR and legal, finance, whatever function we're talking about. 
But one thing that's maybe common to all of us is that we need to focus on is that digital awareness. What's actually happening around technology? How does that impact our own areas? How does it impact the whole organisation in the future? Um, how are we preparing ourselves for that? How many technical journals do we read? So if we're in our own functional business, you know, I love reading HR magazine. Of but course, who doesn't, of... David? Thank you for that <laughs> exactly. plug. If you're listening, I didn't tell him to say that, so that's even better. <laughs> but, you know, maybe picking up a couple of IT journals and reading them and seeing what they're talking about in terms of AI, for example, or robotics, and, and actually that wider reading, that wider awareness, and then really feeding that back into the organisation in terms of the way we develop our leaders to be able to be ready for that and to be open to that. Um, and then perhaps picking on something around personality and mindset you know I've already mentioned growth mindset but this whole area perhaps of agility and linking that to resilience um, to what extent are we helping ourselves to really be you know comfortable working or confident to be working in this world that's constantly shifting you know when one thing gets resolved another thing pops up and we have to sort of figure out how to now handle another difficult situation so that's the thing, another, another area around personality and mindset we might want to think about when we're getting ready for the future. I'm curious to find out whether you think there's a certain section of the workforce that needs more help when it comes to the improvement of skills than others. Well, I think um, when we look at, if I look at our own organisation, perhaps just to start there, so in our organisation, you know, we are we work all over the world. Uh, we, we've got 40,000 colleagues working in uh, North America, Central America and Europe. We've got a lot of colleagues working in agricultural roles, particularly in Central America. Um, and then many people working in logistics, supply chain and uh, commercial roles. So in that type of organisation where you're working across lots of different geographies, different cultures um, and different disciplines, the, the needs can be quite varied, obviously. Um, so I think that's probably important to say. But what, what do we notice in terms of themes? Well, we certainly notice that people who are developing into leadership roles, and they could be quite early in their leadership roles, or they could be quite advanced in their leadership roles. There is a common theme around what they what they want and what where they see a need for further development. Um, it's very interesting. It's around collaboration. It's around building links and relationships because it comes back to this point about facilitation and getting things done across a complex organisation where you need to have those skills. So that's definitely something. And I think that sits at that, at that management level within the business where, frankly, th things are being managed and things are being executed. So you do need people in that if you'd like that tier of your organisation to be very comfortable, very confident with having those skills and those relationships to be able to drive change through um, in an effective way. So I'd say that's that's what we focus on. Um, and that does link into coaching skills, mentoring skills as well. We see that's something that people have a, a strong desire for. And then another area, probably just to um, touch on, is, is, uh, is awareness of technology. Because we ask... Um, the leaders that we're developing to work on development projects during the course of each year and those projects will always have a technological aspect to them because we want people to stretch their thinking around 
we might work in this way today in this particular area of our business, but how might technology help us shift that? And we ask them to go and research what's happening in the world in different sectors and bring that thinking back into our own business. So I think that's another area. So there's an appetite and a desire for Definitely. And that's a demonstration that you as an organisation are planning to sort of future-proof yourselves. You know, you're creating, you're organising for that workforce of the future and you're considering it now. Is that common practice for that to happen or do you think generally in UK business that we're not doing enough future proofing? Well, um, you know, it's going to be very, it's going to be very sector dependent. Um, uh, so what I mean by that, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot more challenging potentially in, in sectors where you have slim profit margins, you've got um, perhaps short term business, where you know, you're not quite sure what the next six months is going to look like. And in some sectors, it is quite challenging from that perspective. So you don't necessarily have the resources available in those sorts of businesses where it's short-term, slim margin to heavily invest in the longer term. It's always going to be one of the challenges. So if we if we look in, in the UK, um, let's take agriculture, you know, as an example, where we can see there's a huge potential for, for innovation and, and uh, improvements in productivity, but you're obviously trying to deliver that in a sector that's affected by all sorts of challenges, short-term and long-term challenges, climate, weather, um, and, um, and and slim, slim profit margins, you know, normally. Um, whereas in other sectors, we see probably a lot of change happening, and some of that's falls through, um, through government regulations. We also take automotive. A massive investment in 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 change and new ways of working, and you can see some automotive organisations, businesses, investing heavily in skills and, and and bringing in the next generation of people to develop completely different business models and technologies. So, just to cite those two sort of examples, a real mixed bag there, a real mixed bag, and I think that that demonstrates just how confusing the workplace can be and how disparate it can be um you mentioned in those sort of tight budgets and and the lack of development etc does this mean that we're we're harming low-income workers because they're missing out on that skills development and if so how can we right that wrong well if you look at um businesses that require highly skilled individuals um, um, and I may, I may be mentioning automotive here again. If you look at an automotive, typical automotive business that has its own design centres in the UK or in, within the economy, um, they're normally very highly rewarded, um, highly technical roles. And then you come into a, a manufacturing environment in that sector where you've got highly skilled individuals working in you know, a highly technical environment. People are faced with opportunities to develop their careers, to, to um, develop highly skilled um, roles, and they are more highly rewarded in those sorts of industries. And then, then in perhaps the industries which are less sophisticated or, or less technical. So where does all that point to? I think it does point to um, manufacturing and technology sectors, which we need to grow in the UK. I think that is something that is, is key. And I think without without that, you know, we are faced with an economy where people will, will not be as highly rewarded because they are not going to be working in such um, uh, advanced sectors. Absolutely. Um, so, so you're so you're saying that without with this lack of investment, 
potentially inequalities that we're seeing in the workforce and in society at large in the UK that could actually increase. Yes, that's right. I, mean, I think this is, isn't it, where we do see, you know, without being political about it, you know, we do see governments recognising that this this is a sort of key area for um, economic growth and developing skills. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it is it is key. So we've talked about the future a little bit and that embracing of technology. What other skills can you see that we, we're we not even starting to learn about? What other skills do you predict will be vital to the workplace of the future? Well, if, if, we, if I look back at these sort of areas that we've been discussing, those sort of broad, broad topics, um, I think skills around being able to to work in quite different ways so what I mean by that is uh, you know people will inevitably I think be working more remotely and uh, there'll be more individual working and so I think it actually is a skill to be able to to be to be self-organized to be able to be uh, self-managed self-motivated if you like to be able to work in a more remote fashion. And I think that's something that we're gonna to have to think about how we develop those sorts of skills. Um, I can't necessarily turn to a colleague next door to me to, to uh, deal with my immediate concern or my immediate questions. So how do, I, you know, how do I deal with that when I don't have that support around me? So I think that's, that's definitely something for, for the future. Um, I think we're going to see more multidisciplinary roles in the future. So in other words, people, you know, will be in, in a position where they won't necessarily just have a career path in one individual discipline. They'll, they'll be ah, that's a great. So more career hopping. I think so. And, um, you know, if we take HR as an example, I, I think we'll see in the future more HR people uh, who have been in different disciplines. They, you know, they, they, they um maybe have been in technical or finance moving into HR and then maybe maybe moving back out again and I think that will happen in in other disciplines as well Uh, and the reason for that I think is because this is almost this complex web complex web of the way businesses and organizations are designed you know be encouraged actually to have people who have moved across different disciplines a, a lot more so how we deliver that that's going to be an interesting one, isn't it? Through different types of professional development, um, encouraging a different, perhaps a different mindset. Uh, and I think also longer term career planning. So I think we're going to have to, if we're going to retain talent in businesses and we're going to keep people with us for the longer term, we're going to have to take a very different view about how we work with our teams and individuals in our teams to grow with us for the longer term. So, you know, five year career plans with structured development throughout those career plans, really helping employees think about where do they want to be, not just from a a career perspective, but from a lifestyle perspective, really engaging with them in in those conversations and helping them to get there. That's gonna be, um, I think, essential, actually. I love that idea that you're not just talking about, okay, what do you need to learn to do your job better, et cetera, just how are you going to improve your life, you know, and, and, and your employer being a real supporter for that and a real pillar for that. Do you think employees at the moment will embrace that? Or do you think they think this is just this totally alien concept and we need to gradually introduce the fact that we're going to be talking more about your life development rather than a career development? 
I think I think employees will embrace it. They might struggle to believe it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. They might be a bit, you know, there's that dist- it's, it comes back to a trust issue, I suppose. You know, like you might think, why is my employer asking me this? Is it because they expect me to go away and have children in a couple of years and they're trying to plan for maternity leave? You know, if you're a woman, you know, there's all those questions and you, you could kind of start second guessing it. So how do we get around that? Well, I think it comes back again to, to leadership and culture. You know, if if you if we design our businesses in the right way and we have leaders thinking this way, then it will filter through. So um, if we if we have this intention that we want to hold on to our talented people, we want to we do want to genuinely develop them for the longer term in, in the organisation. Let's accept the fact perhaps the organisation is going to get more complex. So actually, having people within the organisation who've been there for for eight good period of time to understand those complexities will become even more important so there's a, there's a business driver there's a driver for, the, for this anyway so i think then if that's encouraged and supported then we can properly start to have genuine conversations with our employees about the future um i think then they will two things have to happen they they need to want to be with you you know there's little point in suggesting these sort of conversations and dialogue if they're looking at you because they dislike your culture or they dislike your values and your or your or your organization so you've got to have a highly engaged environment obviously um you've got to have people who would prefer to be with you as a result of that and then will constructively enter into this dialogue with you um and then i think it can work and, and i think that's probably the, the the only way that businesses are going to be able to really be sustainable in in the longer term that's a different way my, my different mindset though isn't it because you know the mindset of oh well I'll, I'll join the company and then i'll do it for a couple of years and move on maybe we're going to encourage yeah. a different kind of form of thinking but that's got to be a two-way that's got to be yeah. a two-way because we we're told now that people don't stay in um the same organization for a long period of time right especially the younger generations they're expected to kind of job hot or not expected but it's part of their career development almost that they're going to try out these different organizations. Whereas in the past, perhaps people haven't done that, but maybe if employers can get this right, they can see more of a, a development in that specific organization. Well, I think, yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, it's interesting isn't it? when I started my, in my career, you know, which is too long ago, I mean, I was, I was just this incredibly frustrated person that never really found the right place for quite a long time. And I was, I was moving really quite regularly as well. So I understand how that frustration can, how it can feel. Um, and if I look back, I think, well, why did I move? Well, actually, it's probably because I didn't respect the people I was working for, you know, the leadership culture, maybe was bullying or aggressive, um, didn't feel comfortable didn't see myself being there for the longer term so what you do then you use it you use the experience to add to your cv so you can go and hopefully find the next place you know it's going to be better for you so i'm not sure it's a new phenomenon necessarily i I think maybe we just we talk about it more but maybe that would be an interesting one to get some reaction on from the listeners yeah that's Um, a great point that's a good point (laughs) did you move around at the start of your career or did you stay where you were and yeah I mean maybe I need to be more cautious of this myself that we can be quite stereotypical when we come to generations yeah right so we can expect um a certain generation to stay in the same role whereas the younger ones do but actually that's not true at all it's it's not true for myself as a younger worker you know so I don't know why I'm I'm perpetuating that stereotype for other people but definitely food for thought and um I'd love our listeners to let us know whether they agree with that or not The HR Most Influential podcast is brought to you by HR Magazine, with a special thanks to our sponsors, Hirerite, 
the Global Background Screening Solution. So David, I know quite a lot of our listeners do want to find out who is behind this list and what wonderful things they've done. And the podcast is a perfect opportunity to explore this. So you're on the practitioners list. You have been there quite a number of times. An obvious question to start would be, what does it take to become an influential HR professional? Well, um, first of all, you know, it's, it's been fantastic to be, to be part of that and to be part of such a, a, a fantastic peer group. Um, well, I think I've always made an effort to connect and network with fellow professionals and to learn from other colleagues in different sectors and different businesses. I've always been curious about you know, what's it like in the hospitality sector and what can I learn from that and bring it into my business? What's it like in the engineering manufacturing sector so I can bring that into my business? So I just love the the opportunity to understand different perspectives um, and network. And then actually, I think in turn, to reciprocate, to, to give to give something back. Um, to be honest with you, Joe, I've never, I've only, I've just the way I do things. <laughs> it's not something I'm necessarily done. You're a natural way. influencer. It's, it's, well, it's, one, it's wonderful, it's wonderful to be recognised and, and I'm incredibly uh, grateful for that. Um, but I, but it, you know, it's just a natural instinct to, to, to operate that way. And I, and I, I think then we, then we kind of grow and we have, we, we keep ourselves fresh, if you know what I mean. So that would be the way I would, I would, I would, um, suggest you know we, we should think as as professionals within the sector um, and I've always been very ambitious for the sector um you know I, I I've always thought gosh you know from why did I go into HR originally I mean I, I it was when I was working in a manufacturing company as a graduate engineer and uh, the personnel department as it was in that business was literally just very preoccupied with dealing with the chair of the trade union and it was an awful culture in the organisation. It was very much a bullying, aggressive sort of style. And I thought, gosh, there must be a better way. Of, well, this really, really, is life going to be like this for the next 30, 40 years? And I started to get more and more interested in how you create the right sort of cultures in organisations. So as I've always had this sort of passion, if you like, for what we do. And I think that's the other thing, really. You've got to sort of almost tap into why, why do we do what we do? What's the purpose for, for, for what we do? Um, and if you could bring that to it as well, that's really important. And then the other thing I think is, how do we help the next generation? So I've, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed being able to, and I still do mental uh, a number of people who, who are in their earlier careers, to help them um, develop their paths forward and develop their, their next steps in their career within HR. And what's brilliant actually is seeing some of the talent coming into the profession. You know, I think, gosh, in you know, 10, 20 years time, wow. You know, it's going to be some incredible, incredible things done. I'm I'm absolutely certain of that. Yeah. Now, the next question. We know no one is perfect, not even David Frost, and we have to make mistakes to grow. So can you name, if you dare, to our listeners, a failure which has allowed you to become a better HR professional? Yeah. well, it's funny enough, actually, I was, I was talking with, a, with a, a, a friend last night about this. We were just reminiscing a, a, over our careers. And I, I found myself telling, telling him, you know, one of the biggest mistakes that, I, that I'd ever made. Um, and obviously, I, I can't talk about this particular company's name, but it was a company I worked with quite a long time ago. 
um, and the CEO in that particular company was was a very aggressive CEO. And I quite realised quite quickly the impact that was having on the business. It was having a very detrimental impact in many ways, uh, culturally and commercially. And we had a particular meeting one day and uh, he was briefing the senior management team. And it was disaster. I mean, the way it was delivered, the way it was handled was a disaster. In the way he behaved, it was incredibly aggressive. And anyway, at the end of the meeting, he looked at me and he said, I want you to come to my office with me. So I followed him to his office and he shut the door and he looked at me and he said, how did I do? Oh, dear. And I regret to this day that I didn't tell him exactly what I thought. Right. OK. Um, and, you know, I was reflecting on this with my friend last night about, you know, why why I did that and why that happens. And uh, I can always say, well, you know, I had a big mortgage and, you know, I, I had responsibilities. And Of course. And yeah, it's a scary said, thing for your boss to ask you that. I mean, to have the confidence to to be open about it if it didn't go so well. I'm sure a lot, a lot of people have been in similar situations to you. I'm, I'm sure. And, um, you know, I've reflected on that quite a lot. You know, it's certainly been one of my topics with, with you know with my coach over the years around you know how would you do that differently in the future and actually I think it was brilliant experience brilliant experience actually um to reflect on that and then how I would handle that type of situation again and I have worked been in a situation since then where I've had some quite challenging conversations with very senior leaders um but I've often reflected back on that moment actually but why was it also particularly important because I know what it feels like to be in that sort of situation where you're you're working in that under that sort of pressure and how many colleagues how many people in our businesses feel that way and actually I've since then always been very aware of the impact of culture on performance and how people behave and making sure you get the right climate is so critical so that that was a, that was a powerful part of the experience but the mistake was not actually having that courage to say tell the truth that say how this really is so um there you go perfect thank you very much for being so honest and for sharing that with us now this is a million dollar question and it might we might have a bit of an overlap on the last one but if you could think of something a little bit different that'd be great so what's one piece of career advice you'd like to pass on to our listeners um find something find the path that absolutely makes you happy I think that's the key. Um, if you find that, then everything else follows in, in my experience. It's got to work for you. It's got to be natural. Um, if you do that, you know, you'll just get up in the morning and, and love it and you'll be natural and you'll be authentic. So be happy in what you do. Brilliant. That, what a beautiful note to end on. Thank you so much, David, for taking the time to chat with us and share your thoughts with our listeners. I'm sure they'll absolutely love this conversation just as much as I did. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on the HRMR podcast. Thank you, Joe. It's an absolute pleasure. You've been listening to the HR Most Influential podcast, where we explore big ideas with small conversations. Thanks to our sponsor, Hireite, and be sure to check out hrmagazine.co.uk to keep up to date with the leading voices in the sector.